is hour two of First Up here on TSN 1050. Karolnik Koliakovo. We stream worldwide, tsn1050.ca, the iHeartRadio Canada app. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Could win some Raptors tickets if you check it out today. The Toronto Maple Leafs last night play their final game before the All-Star break. And wasn't the performance, the result at least, that they were hoping for. They fall 5-2 to the Boston Bruins, the best team in the NHL from start to finish so far this year. So I think when you consider what the Leafs were able to do last night as far as generate scoring opportunities, there was plenty of that. Linus Allmark, who is the prohibitive favorite to win the Vezina Trophy. Basically, the Bruins have the best of everything, right? The penalty kill, their power play, the goaltending. I mean, this team's just been incredible all year long. Uh, he outdueled Ilya Samsonov yesterday. That's fair to say. A couple of goals that Samsonov would love to have back, and ultimately that was the difference. I think the Rasmus Sandin, Timothy Lilligren pair had a very tough night against the Boston Bruins as well. But I think a lot of people, Coco, were talking about what Brad Marchand had to say before the game even began. And he was holding court. Man, does Brad Marchand love a Toronto media gathering. Sitting there, Mark Masters is over there, Kristen Shelton, Terry Koshan, all our friends. He's right, really Brad, strategic, isn't he? What, what do you got for us today? Yeah. And, man, he put on a show. He put on a show. And there's a couple clips I wanted to play. And in case you missed what he had to say, uh, we will let you hear it right now. Uh, why don't we start with why the Bruins have been so good for so long. And I think this year they're probably hitting a different plateau as far as their at least regular season greatness. But Marshan had some interesting things to say about that. Let's hear it. You know, guys have, have tried to take less to win because we know that it, uh, you know, it leads you the lineup if you can have six guys that make lower salary other than three it's a lot harder to play against um you know and that's why we've been good for so long now that is what we call revisionist history right mm -hmm. with brad marchand because let's be honest here when he signed his deal back in 2016 he had never been a point of game player never really even been close he signed an eight-year deal worth 49 million dollars he was a good player He's been an exceptional player, one of the best players in the NHL, basically since he signed that deal. So just bad timing for him. He didn't take any less. What he signed at that time was right in line with his value at that time. And the same goes for a guy like David Pasternak, who signed his deal at that time, I think a year later. Really the only guy on Boston who's ever taken less was Patrice Bergeron. And he's a Hall of Famer. He makes $2.5 million this year. David Krejci, I guess, would fall in line. But for Marchand, he knows exactly what he's doing, right? Mm -hmm. He's stirring up the pot with the Toronto media market. And maybe Coco also sending a little bit of a subliminal message to his teammate, David Pasternak, who's in line for a contract that might be the highest averaged annual value in the NHL. I mean, the guy might score 60 goals this year, and he's a pending UFA as David Pasternak. So you wonder how that plays out as far as maybe the little messaging to him. I'm sure Pasternak heard about it. But what did you make of what Marchand had to say? And clearly, a little bit of a shot at his rivals in the Toronto um, Maple Leafs. It's like I said, Brad Marchand, I give the guy a lot of credit because he has really warmed up to... You know, a lot of people that watch the game because of the things that he says, the confrontations that he stirs. I mean, yesterday he was all over Twitter, too, getting into people's faces, taking shots at them, throwing jabs. 
He was just one of, in one of those moods. And what he said yesterday was completely directed at the Toronto Maple Leafs, not directed at David Pasternak. Because no, 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 or or his team or reality either. I mean, oh he, yeah, because like, like, I'll, be I'll be the first to tell you, Brad Marchand is one of the most vocal guys at the NHLPA negotiations. He wants players to get paid because he believes for most of his career that he's been underpaid. But, hey, you know what? He got his money. He, I don't think he sits here with any regrets today about the contract he signed and the money that he makes. But if he had to go back time, he would love to renegotiate a contract because he'd probably get 2 or $3 million more than what he's making a year based on who he is and, and you know what he's been able to if produce more. throughout yeah. his career. Yes. So he's he's 100% in favor of David Pasternak getting what, whatever it is that he's taking. But he understands, look, he's got media members in Toronto. He understands that Toronto has not won a playoff round. He understands the conversations around Toronto and the way that they're built. And that was him taking a little subtle shot at the Toronto Maple Leafs saying, hey, if you take less, you can have more. Well, let's be honest. The Boston Bruins got lucky with the players that they signed at the time that they signed them. Because when those guys were up for their contracts, the cap was lower. These guys wanted to secure their futures, and that's what the market was paying at that time. And the the timing of the Maple Leafs, when they had their players come up, the cap was higher, and that's what the market said for those type of players. So, I mean, Charlie McAvoy didn't take a team discount. The guy signed for $9.5 million because he got market value. Coyle, like a bunch of guys recently, yeah. But he knew who he was targeting with that message, and that's why he said it. And I give him all the power in the world because – He's the type of guy, when he says stuff like that, he backs it up. He doesn't sit there and hide behind it. He knows who he's talking to, and he goes out and backs it up. And to be honest with you, we talked earlier in the show about a lot of the negative conversation the NHL had yesterday based on the TV ratings that came out in the U.S. Could you imagine if there's more players like this in the league that came out and said the stuff that he did, that came out and got the clicks that he gets? And stands up and, and, and look, a lot of it he was poking fun at too. Like he's poking fun at Mitch Marner and, oh, he's, he's a guy that loves talking about video games and his dog and just wearing those skates. stupid white skates. Like yeah. <laughs> that was, a, that was just a, you know, a chirp. But he also followed that up saying, look, he's got a lot of respect for Marner, thinks he's a great player and stuff like that. So the league needs more Brad Marchand, not, not less of them. And I thought what he did yesterday was totally appropriate for how most people should have handled the hype going into that game. Could you imagine if we had, like we're talking about building up Wednesday night games, Tuesday night games, and you're trying to create rivalries. Could you imagine if we had more guys speak at pregame skate, throwing shots at the other team? What would everybody be talking about leading up to the game? Oh, no, you're, you're exactly right. It doesn't happen nearly enough, but that's also part of hockey culture right where you don't trash talk your opposition to the media it happens very rarely i mean especially these days maybe 20 30 years ago it was different there was a lot more of it but these days it, it just doesn't happen see me brad marchand would be the rare example right and this this is what i mean about hockey minds coming together and trying to pitch more of this to the players to the agents to the gms to the coaches whoever can can help push that message to help grow the game because let's be honest we live in a world of social media 
We live in a world of streaming. There's there's different way people. There's different so many different ways people accumulate their content, and the content that they want is something that's going to get them excited to watch whatever it is that they're watching. And here's Exhibit A, perfect example. What was everybody talking about before the Cincinnati Kansas City game? The stupid mayor coming out and setting up a press conference about seeing some of the things he did did about the Kansas City Chiefs. And Joe I, I Burrow get, I, is Patrick Mahomes' father. Right. They want a paternity <laughs> test on Joe Burrow. Like, yeah, oh yeah. Look, I know it's hard for some players that don't feel comfortable doing that, but there should be an education to some of these guys and help them understand that the things that they do is better for the game. That's all it is. And I know I, t- I certain agree. teams I have agree. certain but, rules I mean, on game days where they don't want them on social media. And yeah. And and to encourage players to start talking trash to one another, or utilizing social media for that, I don't think that's going to work. But I think there's a lot of people who could look at what Brad Marchand did yesterday and what he's been doing for a long time and be like, oh, maybe that's something that that I could do. And but that's just again not pervasive in hockey culture. I'm not sure it ever will be. I mean, let's look at Connor Bedard for for instance. I don't think he's ever going to be using Twitter to, you know, chirp fans. But you don't need and, to do, and, and you don't need types. to use Twitter. All you need to do is answer questions. Yeah. At at, yeah. at your your pregame morning skate scrum, right? And the and when you answer those questions the way you answer them, it'll get out to Twitter. It'll get out to social media and it'll build up the hype leading into the game that you'll be excited to watch. No, you're, you're right, and, and that's what led into last night's game. Not a lot of excitement if you were a Maple Leafs fan, again, losing 5-2. But for, for Boston in particular, I mean, it wasn't Marchand and Pasternak no. and Bergeron, Taylor Hall at the top guys. I mean, Pavel Zaka had a couple of goals. Brandon Carlo, A.J. Greer, Derek Forbert. I mean, it was not the top dogs on the Boston Bruins who got it done last night, and I think in large part it was their depth that helped them uh, get it done and some questionable goaltending from the Maple Leafs. Again, that was Ilya Samsonov's eighth game in a row. Uh, he's up, He's been playing too much, simply. He's been tasked with too much, and I think this eight-day break coming up for him uh, will be richly deserved and much needed, frankly, because I don't know. I think I thought, I thought last night he was fighting the puck. It looked like he was almost scared of it at times. Mm-hmm. Had no reaction. It was uh, weird to see... Ilya Samsonov respond to shots the way he did. So he can use, use a reset. I think a lot of the Toronto Maple Leafs could use a reset, and uh, they'll be getting Austin Matthews back in the not-too-distant future. So I think that'll pay off as well. But for the Leafs, and we'll get into it with Mike Johnson, there'll be questions about the team toughness and the ability to play and sustain play against teams like Boston. Wouldn't take too much from last night. I thought the Leafs played with oh. Boston. A couple bad breaks went against them. Dude, for 30 minutes of that game... There was intensity. There was, you know, a lot of, you know, tight hockey played. And you could see once the Maple Leafs gave up that shorthanded goal for, for Boston to take the one nothing lead, then things started to open up because now the Maple Leafs are chasing the game. You give up a shorthanded goal, chances are you're not going to win that game because those are ones that are hard to get back, especially in a game where you're not getting much to begin with and you know Marner scores a great power play goal by the way Ilya Samsonov like should they permanently put this guy on the half wall in the power play yeah he's this guy is not afraid to throw sauce like the sugo on that sauce was (laughs) was some sweet marinara that's what that Mm, was and here we go now I'm hungry that's that's the second time we've seen him do that right I mean he, he loves those those stretch passes and you know the Maple Leafs have caught on when he's in the net that 
you know, there's situations in the game that call for that, and, and credit to him for recognizing the situation that helps set up Marner's goal. And look, with Marner's goal yesterday, his 19th of the season, that clinched his seventh season of recording 60-plus more points, and I believe that's a, a franchise record. But it also put him in sole possession of uh, the points lead on the Maple Leafs for the first time all year. Because yeah, it's always right, been Nylander. it's always been Nylander, and you know at the All Star break when he's the deserving All Star that goes, he's got sixty. William Nylander with no points last night has fifty nine, and I guess this shouldn't come to a surprise because this is where we expect Marner to be year after year. But sixty points in fifty two games, he could potentially get his first hundred point season. This yeah, year. he'll be he'll be sniffing that for sure. He yeah. probably need need to get hot in the second half a little bit here. Pretty hot, but and wouldn't surprise me at all if and, that and, was and, indeed and the remember, case. Because he hasn't been racking up like the big number. That's like, what big, I was going to say. Like, in singular games, sixty points. A lot of those are just you know keeping the point streak alive, game to mm-hmm. game. He hasn't had many multiple point games, and that's what makes it even more impressive is that the consistency that he's bringing every night. He's finding a way to be a factor on the score sheet. Mike Johnson will join us, TSN hockey analyst, in about 30 minutes. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to James Duthie's return to the show as well. He was off last week. We'll hear what JD's been up to in the last week or so. Probably some extravagant vacations, no doubt, as James and his family are wont to do. Uh, and we'll play some Would You Rather on the other side. Bet and breakfast coming up as well. A very busy hour number two of First Up continues after this. The evening will culminate with a game. A contest. Each player will be given a choice between A or B. Decision-making in its rawest form. Would you rather you must make the decision? Welcome back to First Up here on TSN 1050. Aaron Korolnik and Carlo Koliakova with you until 10 a.m. Our producer Chris Horvat here around this time every day comes up with some interesting questions, fascinating segments. This one, would you rather? We debate a couple of options and Coco and I decide which we would prefer. Cheese, our topics today, good sir. Let's start with the Super Bowl. If you are the Eagles, and you can hypothetically limit one Chiefs player to a mediocre performance at the Super Bowl, would you rather pick Travis Kelsey or Chris Jones? I I think I would rather limit Travis Kelsey. I mean, Travis Kelsey is the engine that drives that offense, aside from Patrick Mahomes, who plays quarterback and basically, you know, is the guy throwing the ball. I mean, we see how how yeah. impactful Travis Kelsey can be. This guy is a difference maker in the game. Chris Jones, yeah, he can be a difference maker if he gets to the quarterback. And Philly's got a great offensive line, and, and Jalen Hurts is a guy that can move within the pocket. So I, I think if, if I'm um, the Philadelphia Eagles, I'm drawing up a game plan to make somebody else on offense in KC beat you instead of Travis Kelsey. You know, you make a really good point. And keep in mind, the Kansas City pass catcher behind Kelsey, think about how many of them got injured in right. the AFC title game. Kadarius yeah. Tony gets hurt. McCole Hardman gets hurt. Juju Smith-Schuster gets hurt. So you're talking about Valdez, Scantling, and 
I don't know who Kemp, else. Like some guy named Marcus Kemp. Kemp. Yeah, he made a catch <laughs> on the final drive. I mean, assuming those guys aren't healthy, and I think most are expected, if not all, are expected to be ready. But I do think the answer is Chris Jones. Keep in mind, before last week where he was an absolute force, he did not have a sack in 13 straight playoff games, which is wow. absurd. The quarterback pressures were there, and his ability to you know, rush the quarterback was there, but getting home and actually completing the sack was something that he struggled, but he was a an absolute beast in the AFC title game against the Cincinnati Bengals, and I think I would rather limit him because if Philadelphia can protect Jalen Hurts and avoid the sacks and avoid the pressure from Chris Jones and company, they're going to be in excellent shape, and Kansas City's done it without Kelsey and because they have Mahomes. They can figure out ways to <laughs> to execute yeah. offense regardless of who is catching the passes. As great as Kelsey is, one of the best of all time at his position. I think limiting Jones, the more important thing. Aaron Rodgers, who is my all-time favorite NFL player, is the subject of our next Would You Rather. If you are Aaron Rodgers, would you rather stay in the NFC and return to the Packers or would you rather wind up on the Raiders in a stacked AFC field? Okay, so did you bury the lead here? Aaron Rodgers is your all-time favorite NFL player? What oh, my God, there? every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Are you so a you're, Packers fan? I was going to say, are you a Packers fan? I am, yeah. Oh, oh did not Sweet. know that. I, I guess yeah, I that's where on... the name Cheese comes from, right? You're a yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> I grew up. Uh, I, I grew up watching Brett Favre on Sundays because you know Fox only used to have like one or two games on the weekend, and it would always be the Packers. So uh, that's the genesis of my Packers fan. Wow! All right, Cheese. All right, Cheese. Uh, look, <laughs> I think the aftermath of the Tom Brady retirement announcement yesterday. You just have to look at the NFC and think to yourself, if if I want my best chance to win in this league, it's got to be staying in the NFC. So if you're Aaron Rodgers, all the thoughts of maybe going to the Raiders or going to the Jets, if you're serious about winning like you say you are, who, what quarterbacks are you scared of in the NFC? Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff. <laughs> like, come on. If I'm oh, any AFC uh, quarterback, I'm saying trade me to an NFC team. So the best, oh, exactly. to, the, the best place for Aaron Rodgers would be to stay in Green Bay. I think the question is, does Green Bay want to keep Aaron Rodgers? He did not have a good year. Keep that in mind. No. I understand he had two MVP seasons in a row, but he was terrible last year relative to his historical performances that never did not have a 300 yard game keep in mind the last 10 seasons before last year this past season i should say he had three 300 yard games in each of them at the minimum so something has happened here's what i would do if i was green bay you go out and you acquire a stud receiver maybe it's deandre hopkins mm -hmm. maybe it's someone in the draft you pair them with christian watson who i thought had a really nice rookie season and all of a sudden green bay you could argue is one of the favorites in the nfc if they can build Aaron Rodgers, that group of receivers back up, and clearly he was missing Devontae Adams last year, uh, I would keep Aaron Rodgers if I was them, because in the NFC, it's wide open. You could probably make an argument that Rodgers is the top two or three quarterback, so for that reason alone, if I'm Rodgers, I want to stay in the NFC, and if I'm Green Bay, I want to stay in the NFC as well. Yeah, yeah. the Packers well, uh, better Bay, be yeah. careful what they <laughs> wish for. Jordan Love kind of sucks. You can let the cat out of the bag there. Is he Lonzo uh, Ball? He's in Lonzo Ball cat, cat territory? He sucks? 
<laughs> I think I think so. I mean, it's what year? It'll be year five for him next nice. year. Nice. Uh, does not look like a finished product at all. Hang on, cheese. Hang on. Ak, yeah, did yeah, you see yeah. that report of Lonzo Ball that was reported the other day saying that? Nobody can figure out what's wrong with his knee. Yeah, that's sad, man. Imagine <laughs> me a bat. Oh, you think it's funny? Uh, I think it's sad. I mean, it's just like the guy can't jump. He's like, his knee is broken. Uh, and that's, I mean, to think that they, the, the staff has hired some of the best doctors in the world to try to identify what a player's dealing with and he can't play because they can't figure it out. Look, I never want to make fun of somebody's injury. It's just, it's, it's kind of crazy that it's Lonzo Ball we're talking about, a guy I don't feel really highly about. So No, no, but I mean you know, say what you will about his play and all his dad and all the theatrics surrounding it. I mean, it's just sad that a guy his body has failed him. I mean, he's not an old man either. What is he? got to be 25, 26, 27 years old and his career might be over and it's crazy, crazy. to think all the hype coming out uh, of UCLA. Uh, Cheese, what else are we talking about? I just would like to point out that he's still probably better than his brother, uh, Leangelo Ball, even if he only has one leg. Uh, Let's start with the NBA. Fair. If you are the Raptors and you can guarantee you sign one of these two to an extension this summer, would you rather sign Nick Nurse or OG Ananobi? You want to go first on this one, AK? Nick Nurse or OG Ananobi? Well, Ananobi's contract expires in the Next after the season. 2024 season. Same as Nick Nurse. So I guess both are in line for new deals next season. Would I rather Nurse or Ananobi? Uh, I don't know. That's a tough one. I guess Ananobi because he's the player, the more impactful person. But I'm not sure Ananobi will be part of the Raptors long term, whether he's traded before the deadline or in the offseason. I think that's a very realistic possibility, especially considering what we've seen from Precious Achua in lieu of OG Ananobi of late. You wonder if that's something that become more permanent. So I think I'll go with Nick Nurse on this one, which is a rare thing for me because I always take the player over the coach. Yeah, I, I have to say, I, I sigh with you on this one. I think I would choose Nick Nurse too because Look, as much as we can sit here and point out all the great things that OG does, if there's one thing that he does too, he gets hurt a lot, man. He like every year this guy's dealing with a hip, a knee, a hand, something that is keeping him out of the lineup. And with Nick Nurse, I think most people in the NBA would probably, you know, label him as what, one of the top three, top five coaches in the league? Sure. And, and and what's the one thing that's been keeping this Raptors 2 team together year after year after they've lost players since their championship run? It's been the way they've been coached by Nick Nurse to play a certain way. So if I had to make a choice that would at least help keep my credibility as an organization, it's got to be Nick Nurse because players come and go. Coaches don't. All right, let's do one more. It, it doesn't feel like the show is ever complete unless we speculate a little bit about the Leafs' trade deadline approach. So if you are the Leafs and you're looking to upgrade your top six forward group, would you rather trade for Tyler Bertuzzi or Dominic Kubelik? I'm going to go Tyler Bertuzzi on this one. Um, you know, Kubelik was a nice story last year because he had a breakout season. But I just think if you're looking for that certain type of playoff player, I think Tyler Berduzzi fits the mold because he'll play in your face. He'll be physical. He'll stir things up. He can score. Um, he can go to the hard areas of the ice. 
I mean, Kubalik, this was a great opportunity for him considering that Chicago just walked away from him last year. To really go to a place and establish himself as a legitimate NHL player, and I think he's sort of missed that boat of doing so in Detroit, where he's been so inconsistent, still trying to find his game. And I know Tyler Bertuzzi's dealt with some injuries, but if you're talking about finding the right type of player for this Maple Leafs, I'm choosing Tyler Bertuzzi all day, every day. Tyler Bertuzzi is Todd's nephew, right? Not his, not his nephew, kid? Yes. Nephew. Yes. I thought so. Nephew. And he is a pending unrestricted free agent, is Tyler Bertuzzi. He'll be in line for a nice new contract because he does play that style of hockey that a lot of people believe portends into playoff success. And that gritty style, the hits, and the physicality that a lot of people uh, really like about Tyler Bertuzzi, as they should, much like they liked about his uncle Todd. But... Yeah, I think I would go with Tyler Bertuzzi as well because Dominic Kubelik, who I like as well, can score goals and do a lot of good things. Bertuzzi adds that element that the Leafs might be lacking in their top six. So uh, he might be more of a focal point for me. But that being said, I'm not sure Detroit uh, eager to move on from, from Tyler Bertuzzi either. I mean, that's a good player. That's someone you want to build around. So that, that'll be an interesting oh, thing to also, track. Also, uh, deadline. Ha- happy 48th birthday to Todd Bertuzzi. Hey, oh, Bert. That's your Big that's Bert. your boy, Coco. He you is love my Bert. boy, man. I tell you what, that's one guy that I was very lucky to play with in Detroit. Even though you know it was the Laco shortened season and he dealt with a back injury that year, didn't play much. But that was a guy that really had the the what do you call it? Um, the impression of a guy that was a scary individual. Like, you look at him on the ice, the beard, the look, the size, and you were scared as hell to go into a corner with him. But once you got to know him as a person, sweetheart, man, was he a fun guy to be around. Like, amazing guy to be around. Like, even when I got to Detroit, like, I was a little intimidated at first to go, like, introduce myself to him because he just looked like just a a beast. And you didn't really know, like, he had that look of being, like, a jerk of a guy. And the furthest thing from that, like to me, he was like one of the funnest teammates to be around just because one, he took no nonsense. He had dry humor and he just, he would, you know, throw jabs at guys. Like it was awesome. What was the, what was the name? It was the West Coast Express with the Canucks in the early 2000s, right? It was Bertuzzi, Marcus Naslin and Brendan Morrison, I think was the third. Was the centerman on that line. That was a nasty line. Those guys had a lot of success. I never heard that name before, the West Coast Express. I think that's what, I think that's, that's what they called that line. I could be mistaken. Texas 10-50-50 if. Uh, you know better than I, or if you're able to look it up. But we'll talk to Mike Johnson, our hockey analyst, at 745. Again, the Leafs lose 5-2 last night to the Bruins. They are off until February 10th. Oh, what a break for the Leafs. Holidays are on, and I'm sure if you were at Pearson Airport last night, you saw a lot of Uber Blacks pulling up to one of the terminals where the private jets uh, were taking off for the Leafs and for the Boston Bruins. We've got bet and breakfast coming up, and we will give away some tickets to Open Gym Season 11. Raptors, a really cool documentary series that they do every year, something that I've been able to attend in the past. Very cool thing. And we'll tell you about that on the other side as well. More first up. It's Thursday. It's Korolnik. It's Koliakovo, and it's TSN 1050. 
We are giving away a pair of Raptors tickets. Listen to each hour of the First Up podcast for a clue to the identity of a former or current Raptors player. And once you have all the clues and you know the identity of the player, you'll have until the end of the day to enter at tsn1050.ca for your chance to win the tickets. Here is your clue. Clue number two for the Reveal That Raptor contest. This mystery rap has averaged 12 points per game during his 14-year NBA career. So Rihanna performing at the Super Bowl next Sunday. Great choice. Probably the second best choice behind Taylor Swift. We're back on first up. Karolnik and Koliak. Well, Taylor a little bit preoccupied that night. That's my understanding. Otherwise, (laughs) she would have been uh, doing the halftime show at the Super Bowl. But our friends at FanDuel have posted a ton of different novelty prop bets on the app about Rihanna, about the Super Bowl halftime show. What will the first song she plays at the halftime show be? And the betting favorite is This Is What You Came For, which I believe is a collaboration with Calvin Harris. Chrissy, yes. Wow, look at me. My Rihanna knowledge. Another song... I don't know if I can say that one on the radio, so I'll skip that one. But uh, Don't Stop the Music, which you just heard. Umbrella, a great track. We Found Love. I mean, wow, Rihanna does have some bangers that I didn't really uh, recognize. Disturbia, SOS, that's a good song. Shut Up and Drive, Stay Diamonds. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff uh, for Rihanna to pick from. And I always wonder, like, props like these. And the limits are low, right? I mean, you can't bet a million dollars on FanDuel if you wanted to, if you found out what Rihanna was playing. But I do recall at the Grey Cup a couple of years ago, so I'm there, and somehow I come across the script from TSN and for the halftime show. And there's odds where you can bet on how many songs will be played at the halftime show. I think it was maybe in Calgary or in Winnipeg. And I think the over-under was seven and a half. And then I see the script from TSN. It's like, there will be eight songs played in the halftime show. And I'm like, (laughs) no way. This is amazing. Like, this is free money. Here's what happened. There was some technical issue where the sled, I mean, it was the Shania Twain halftime show. There's some technical issues where, for whatever reason, the halftime show wasn't able to start on time. And they ended up only doing five songs. So I'm, like, calling all my friends. My guys, this is the lock of the year here. Probably shouldn't be revealing this live on the radio. (laughs) This is the lock of the year. We can't lose here. Like, I've seen the script. This is what's happening. And, of course, (laughs) when it's too good to be true, it probably is. So if you know Rihanna and maybe she tells you what song she's going to open with, close with, be careful because things can change. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at Rolling Stone's list of her top five songs because that's probably – as many as she'll play. I mean, just going back and seeing the background of when J-Lo and Shakira did the halftime show in Miami, I believe they had seven minutes was the total no, it was, it was more than that. And we saw it with, like, Eminem and Dr. Dre and all those guys last year. It was, I think it was more than seven minutes. Maybe it's, like, 14 minutes. Uh, okay, so they're going to play seven songs? I think they could probably play six or seven songs. Yeah. Okay. So she'll, she'll, she'll first... do like she won't do the entire versions of them. She'll do truncated. Okay, versions that's true. Of songs. That's true. That's true. So the first song on Rolling Stone's list is "We Found Love," and "We Found Love" is plus three hundred for the first song. And then the last song, if you're talking about you know maybe doing six or seven songs. Number six and number seven on the Rolling Stones list. Man, she's got some great no, she, songs. She does. That. She really does. Coco, Only- I need to interrupt you here because we have some breaking news. 
We know it's Groundhog Day. Punxsutawney Phil sees his shadow predicting Dang. six more. No, no, that's bad. Predicting oh, six more weeks. Of, damn it. <laughs> predicting what? six more weeks of winter. Who cares you, what Punxsutawney, Punxsutawney Phil the only The only time I actually take that into account is when he predicts you know, a shortened winter. Otherwise, it's completely irrelevant. So uh, he saw his can, own shadow? Yeah, he saw his own shadow. Damn so that means you, six son. more weeks of winter. I mean, Damn it can't get you, any colder. Owls, brother. <laughs> it Remember can't get any colder in Southern Ontario. Punxsutawney Al's brother? Yeah, he's just dress up as out. the. Uh, what was he supposed to dress up as? Like the squirrel or something? Or the groundhog, perhaps. Or yeah, the groundhog, probably, yeah. yeah. Uh, we've got Mike Johnson standing by. Uh, maybe oh, we can debate. just my morning, his, man. His, his, yeah, no, it does suck. I can't take any more winter. It is so absurdly cold outside. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, I don't know what the hell's going on. Mike Johnson probably does. His favorite Rihanna song and his impressions from the Toronto Maple Leafs and their 5-2 loss to the Boston Bruins. That's next. This is Leafs Breakfast. Up ahead, it goes to Marner from the goaltender. Shot scores! What a play by Samsonov! He saw the Bruins changing. Pushed it ahead to Mitch Marner, who snaps it home to tie the game. Man, has Ilya Samsonov been active as far as getting up in the play? Some assists in recent weeks. It's been really impressive to see how he's been Performing in that respect, not his best performance last night by any stretch. Welcome into first stop. This is Leafs Breakfast. The Toronto Maple Leafs lose 5-2 to the Boston Bruins, a team that had been coming into last night's game, losers of three in a row. So it probably shouldn't surprise anyone that they get back on track. The final game before the All-Star break. Let's welcome in our All-Star TSN hockey analyst. It's Mike Johnson. What's going on, Mike? Good morning, boys. Has he been active getting up the ice or passing it up the ice? Because if he's yeah. been getting up the ice himself, that would be really, really yeah. impressive. Trying to, you know, trying you, know, you never, never rule anything out. Never rule anything out. Listen, whatever Samson it takes. <laughs> Go full but, Mighty Ducks with Russ Tyler. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, MJ, as you can imagine, following a game like last night, where I, I don't think Samsonov had his best performance by any stretch, and I'm sure you were watching the broadcast, there was a lot of criticism directed towards Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren. They did not have their best performance either. And at Leafs Nation is want to do, there's a little bit of a panic in the air this morning about those two in particular and whether or not they're able to play playoff-style hockey. How do you respond to those concerns? I think you look at the, 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 the stats and the way they've played from the last couple of years when they've played together in the role that they're going to be asked to play in the playoffs if everyone's healthy. And ask if that's good, and it is really good. Yes, they had a you know they had a tough night. Um, you know, it wasn't their best game, perhaps, but I think generally speaking, when they are playing together, when they play third pair minutes, they they thrive in that role um, and really really do well. So um, last night, yeah, maybe not their best, but uh, I think that was more of a one-off. You give Boston credit too. Boston's obviously an incredible team, uh, trying to bounce back after not having won for three straight, which was a first for them this year. But I don't. I don't think it's like look at look what happened last night against Boston. We clearly need to upgrade Rashford Sandin. We clearly need to upgrade the bottom. Like they may choose to do so, um, and it may be not a bad idea. But I, I don't think because of last night that would be the case. And I mean, quite frankly, like they, I think as a duo, 
they're like top five. I know Carly will love this, but you don't care. But like they're top five in like expected goal percentage for defensive pairs. So like when they're on the ice, Leafs do really well. Like that is the reality, and it has been for a couple of years. So I would not overreact to one one off night. Yeah, you're right. I'm glad you care about it more than I do because uh, <laughs> when I when I when I want when I want reference to that, I just call up Mystic Mike to give me the mm. explanation behind that. And I, I'm with you, man. I totally agree. Like. I don't overreact to a game like yesterday because, to me, a game like yesterday with what the Maple Leafs are facing over the next nine days, it's hard to really put too much emphasis on that game that you got everybody's best, right? I mean, and that's is that fair to assume? Is that not fair to assume? At the end of the day, it's an assumption I'm making based on my experience playing in that game where, you know, you're, you're playing that game just to play that game, not really taking much out of it and... Look, if, if the Maple Leafs are committing their future to Sandino Lilligren, they have to play in the playoffs this year. Like, you, you, you can't go another another season without having those guys playing. And if anything, you know, maybe what that game, you know, reiterates for this Maple Leafs team is that if they had some, some nervousness or they had some skepticism around making a big move, well, you got to understand, you've played Tampa, you've played Boston. How do you measure up against those teams in a seven-game series? So I think it's pretty clear to say that regardless of last night's result, this team still needs a piece or two to make them better in a series against those two teams. Do you not agree? Um, well, I mean, they can always used to be better because against Tampa, against Boston, it's going to be a toss-up series at best because those are the two of the three best teams in the league. Like the like, the top four teams in the league right now, Boston, Carolina, Tampa, and then probably Toronto. Like, that's the four best teams. They're all in the Eastern Conference, three of the right. same division. So, yes, they, they may need to get upgraded. But I think, you know, the idea that they need to, to improve to play against Boston, um, I think in the last two years, Carlo, that w- the win last night makes Boston two and four against Toronto. Toronto four and two against Boston. So, um, that's in the regular season. That's not, not in any playoffs. So, you know, I don't like, – I guess they're good. It's going to be hard to win all the time. They may play in the playoffs. They may not be successful, Toronto, playing against a team as good as Tampa or Boston. Or they may. Like, I think that's just the reality. And they could go get better players, uh, you know, go get an upgrade on defense if you wanted to get one. And they still would not be guaranteed to win that series. That's because those other teams are just that good. The only issue I have with – and I, you're right, Carlo. Lord knows I would have had one foot on the plane, one toe in the water, my butt <laughs> right. in the beach. Like, I got 100%. <sighs> but Boston was in the same situation. Like, I know yeah. they lost three in a row, but they've rolled out to one of the best starts in the history of the league. They also would have had reason to kind of be like, well, we're all going on break here. Man, it's been a great start. Let's not sweat this one so much. They, the other team was in the same spot. And if the other team could find a way to get their act, something closer to their best out there, then you probably should have too. Like Boston would have been one of the very few teams in the league, probably Tampa being the other, that should have gotten the Leafs' attention. Listen, it's only one more game till we're gone, but this game matters because this team is one of the teams we're going to be competing against to try to do something in the playoffs. So in that sense, I'm I'm almost less sympathetic, even though I know as a player I would have had a hard time focusing last night. Um, I would have been – I would have thought that the Leafs – that wouldn't be an issue for Leafs against a team like Boston last night. 
I almost feel like in that situation too, it's better to be a road team because you know, yeah. like you're staying yeah. in a hotel, you still got to travel, yeah. like you're a home team, you your bags back. are packed, you got the charters yeah. at a certain time that you got to jump on and stuff like that. But anyways, we're poking fun at the situation. At the end of the day, this team also played without Austin Matthews too, one of their best players. Right. So, no, I, I'm not overreacting to the loss. And Carlo, uh, let's do it. You gotta remember, like, like the goalie who's been amazing. I'm not, I'm not gonna criticize Samson off at all mm. because he's been, you know, a savior for the Stellar. league this year. Yeah. But he wasn't great last night. It wasn't his best right. game. True. So, very, you know, very true. When, when, when your goaltender is not as good as the other goaltender, um, and the team's as good as Boston, you're gonna have a hard time winning that game. That, that, that's always going to be the case. When you're not, when you're without your best player, Austin Matthews, then it makes it even more difficult. So these are not you know, these are not just excuses. They're reasons that why Toronto would lose that game. It would have been nice to see them be able to do it without Austin playing. They'd like to do it without maybe support Samson off in a game where he wasn't as best as to bail him out a little bit the way he's bailed out the team. It didn't happen because Boston also played really well. So um, yeah. lots to go into. But I also just like you know I could sense it. When I'm watching the game. I'm listening to broadcast. Like you could feel the angst. Start, you know, I'm scrolling Twitter. I could, you could feel the angst starting to grow. And I just think, you know what, take a breath. Take a nine-day breath, and we'll see what happens when everyone comes back and, and, and how things shake out down the stretch. Did that angst grow because of the hype that Brad Marchand created before the game with <laughs> the, the comments that he made? I mean, people can say what you want about Brad Marchand. I think most people that watch him love him because of what the way he plays and what he brings to the game, but also love him because he's not scared to say stuff. Yeah, so a couple things. Like anyone's like, well, you'd want him on your team. That's obvious. That's ridiculous. Yes. Everybody, everybody <laughs> wants him on his team. Like he's he's a Hall of Fame player. Like give him two more years, and his stats will be good enough to be a Hall of Fame player. I agree. But what he also is is he's quite astute at at massaging and and dealing with the media and using the media for his own benefits, for his team owns benefits. So they're coming in. They have one and three. He knows where he's coming into Toronto. Um, but the Leafs media all hyped up, about 50 of them descend on him at the, at the morning skate. And he says a couple in flat, you know, kind of tongue in cheek things and making fun of Mitch Marner's dog and his video games and his skates and, you know, not talking about bunting and kind of just downplaying his importance. And like, it's all very calculated. And very. Fair. And, and I think, and I think like, you know, putting the tension on himself, adding some fuel to the game, making it a little chippier, all things that he knows he'll do well in that environment. He knows exactly what he's doing, and I can credit for that. And the other thing is, it's refreshing. Like, from, from all reports, I don't know Brad Marchand very well, a little bit. Like, he's a good dude. But he has no problem being the villain. Like, he has no problem playing the heel in wrestling terms, right? Like, he doesn't mind going and stirring it up and taking a little – funny pot shot at, at, you know, Mitch Marner, the, you know, one of the guys that everyone loves in Toronto. And, and I think that's also good for the game. So um, I thought it was just another, another master class in coming into Toronto and stirring it up just enough to uh, make your team on point and get the game to a temperature that you want it to get to. Mike Johnson, our guest, TSN hockey analyst here on Leafs Breakfast. You brought up Michael Bunting, how – Brad Marchand was asked about bunting if he chirps with him, and man, was bunting just incensed on multiple <laughs> occasions last night, yeah. and rightfully so. I mean, he got knocked in the face. He was bleeding. Absolutely should have been a penalty on Brandon Carlo, but I do wonder, I mean, the reaction, we compared it to LeBron James when he was fouled by Jason Tatum. He was going crazy, and yeah. he's bleeding. He's rubbing the blood and like showing the referee, hey, look at what you missed. Do you think 
antics like that serve Bunting well in the long run? He's been one of the league leaders as far as drawing penalties over the last couple of years. What mm-hmm. does that type of, I don't know what, what I would, but that type of performance do History to his honest. reputation around the league? Yeah. Um, so, listen, Michael Bunting is a very good player. He's like one of the emotional catalysts for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, you mentioned the penalties drawn, I think, again, in the top three in the league. He's also right there in the top ten in penalties taken. So, you know, he, he's around the refs a lot. And the refs, I think, have taken notice to um, even the one from Carlo. Like, so even if it's clearly a foul, like he knows. So he's not embe- he's not embellishing. He's exacerbating. You know what I mean? Like the foul has taken place, but he makes sure that the referees know that he's been fouled. Yeah. Right. Like so, he's you know the you know he crumples backwards and and it, you know the head, the chest, it all moves together. And even though yeah, like that's what happens when you get hit in the face, it, it makes it overtly obvious. And I think the referees don't like that. I think they, I think they don't want to give him the benefit of the doubt because it happens a lot in a game, whether it's a hit from behind, and yeah, it probably is a hit from behind. But like you know, he might both feet might come off the ground when he goes to the boards, which is unusual, right? Like that kind of stuff. Um, I think hurts him because there will be moments in games, and I've seen it several times this year, where he has absolutely been fouled. Absolutely. And the refs saw it, and I think they're choosing not to call it because they think he's, you know, embellishing it to a degree or embellishing it entirely because it happens all the time. So I, I don't think it's, it's, it's helpful. And the other thing is, I, I don't know what Carlo was like when he played, but you know, when I was a player, I was obviously not at all like Michael Bunting, kind of emotionally like that, on the edge like that. But, you know, I found my most successful moments with referees was when I more calmly spoke to them. So if they missed a the call and I didn't like it, instead of screaming and yelling and waving my hands on the bench, which shows them up and pisses them off, you know, I'd go over to the next break. I'd get in their ear calmly and be like, hey, this is what happened. This is what you missed. This is what, what, what are you seeing? And they often would say, hey, you know what, Johnny? You're right. I missed that one. I'll watch out for it next time. I'm like, okay, like, good. Yeah, Do they don't so. like to get shown and, up like that. They don't like to be shown up. They don't mind the verbal. Like, like between the benches, the stuff you can say to a ref is is almost unlimited. Like, you can say anything you want. But when the whole crowd knows that you're making these crazy gestures, you're showing them up, it does rub them the wrong way, generally speaking. And I think in that sense, it probably hurts uh, Michael Bunting sometimes, like it did last night. You, you're telling me, Mike, that you never took the blood on your face and like smeared it around, and then like showed the official. That was never part of your uh, your mantra as a as an <laughs> NHL player. I mean, I tried to get cut as infrequently as possible, so right. I didn't have it Wise. happen that many times. But yeah. Um, like, yeah, like listen, even a, a, a relatively calm person, like you're you're fired up. Like something happens, like you know, you're emotional. Like you might scream, "What the?" You know, like yeah. you know, you're, you're going to the bench, whatever, but. Once you start, once the whole crowd can tell what you're doing, that's when you lose the rest, and that's when it bugs them. And and even if you're right, they still don't like it. And I think that's what Bunting was doing. So no, I I tend to not rub my blood around anywhere except in the gauze piece that's thinning my nose up. Yeah, the one thing I hated that when I yelled at a linesman was when he would wave off an icing as I'm chaf- chasing it back. I'm like, what right. the hell are you trying to kill me? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Let the icing go. I don't want to yeah, go exactly. chase it. <laughs> yeah. uh, Mike, thank you as always. Enjoy the all-star break. Hopefully you're able to get out of this 
frigid cold Toronto down in southern locale. So, uh, as always, we appreciate it. We'll chat with you next week. I don't think the Leafs play again until, what, next Saturday. So it's uh, a long time uh, off for them. and hopefully Well-deserved break for all of us. Yes. Yeah, you got it. Listen, boys, I'm heading down to sunny FLA tonight for the All-Star festivities. So I will get my tan on while pretending to work for a couple days. Good for you, Have a pint at the Elbow Room for me, please, Elbow Room, table reserved, 11 p.m. tonight. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Oh, man, that's awesome. All right. Well, we could could take this offline for the other stories. Uh, Enjoy, buddy. Enjoy. Uh, Thank you, Mike. All right, guys. Cheers. All right. See you, pal. Uh, that's Mike Johnson, TSN hockey analyst. Oh, man, that's a great gig heading down to All-Star Weekend. Punxsutawney, in, Phil. In, in, in oh, God, I hate that guy right now. <laughs> Apparently, he's only right 39% of the time. So, actually, yeah. the fact that he predicted six more weeks of winter lends itself to the possibility that it's more likely to be incorrect than actually correct. Oh, so please. That would be amazing. Yes, likewise. That would be amazing. James Duthie in the next hour, plus Edward, our NFL analyst. So many storylines. Tom Brady retires. Aaron Rodgers, will he be traded? And we'll look ahead to the Super Bowl as well. The third hour, first up, begins next.